It's a privilege to be with you this morning in this place uh, that is so special to us, such fond memories, and, um, and it's a privilege to share God's word from this place where I've heard it expounded so faithfully so many times over so many years. I'm not going to make my children suffer at all. Uh, pastors, kids, missionary kids, they have to endure enough trauma. I'll just say that it's incredibly, uh, it's wonderful for me, I think for the first time this calendar year, to be in a church service with all my family. I think we hadn't done that since last year. So my wife and two of the kids got in from Greenville last night, and last night the two younger ones came in with me from Ohio. So we just got in. I am a little sleepy, but no excuses. This is God's word. Let's go to it. A few months ago, I was researching a missionary training ministry in Mexico. I had mistakenly understood that they were training Mexicans to go out into the world. They're actually training North Americans in Mexico to go out to the world. But I was very interested in what they were offering. They, uh, in the website, they had a section there with some of their core values. And as I uh, clicked on the drop-down list of core values, I saw a core value I'd never seen before. It's very simple, but it uh, stood out to me. It's, it, it's this core value. Suffering is normative. That is, suffering is par for the course. That jumped out at me. I'd never seen anyone advertising a core value like that in their ministry. Um, And so I asked myself, in cross-cultural ministry, which is what they want to be preparing people for, should hardship be the norm or should it be something exceptional, something rare? And then, of course, the question then changed in focus, and I was asking myself, how about the consecrated Christian life? Should, should hardship be exceptional and rare, or is it to be expected? Is it normal? The Bible uses a number of metaphors to describe the believer, the child of God. So we're portrayed as sons, sometimes as sheep. Sometimes as servants or slaves, sometimes as branches. And in this section that we just read in 2 Timothy 2, we're also, the metaphors are that of, a, of an athlete, of a farmer, or of a soldier. So these are all useful ways of thinking about uh, the believer's reality and his experience. And this morning, as you saw from the reading in 2 Timothy, I want to focus on this idea of, of, or this concept of of the soldier metaphor. So let's go to 2 Timothy 2. I'm going to um, reread some of these verses, but we're really just going to zero in on verses 3 and 4. That's what I'm primarily interested in this morning. Now, if you pay attention, if you're looking, verse 2, verse 10, as we read, You're going to notice that the passage has an evangelistic or missionary tone to it. I'll read verses 1 through 13 in another good translation. We'll pray, and then we're going to look at two verses. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also, Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits, since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything." 
Remember Christ Jesus, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Good Father, as we approach your word, give us understanding, but give us hearts ready to obey. Clear our thoughts, help us to understand, and help us to evaluate. I ask for your help, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let me reread verses 3 and 4. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. So in this letter, the Apostle Paul, he's speaking to his young co-worker, Timothy. Paul is imprisoned. He's getting ready to lay down his life. But he's more concerned, it seems like, with encouraging Timothy, his spiritual son, to prepare him to serve with faithful devotion. That seems to be his concern. The letter emphasizes the need to be faithful in the face of adversity, far from shrinking from it, to embrace it. The command to be strengthened or be strong, as it is in the New King James, by the grace of God, uh, that makes perfect sense when you, when you look at verses 2 and 3 and you see the weighty assignments that were being laid on, on Timothy's shoulders. So Timothy was going to have to be supernaturally strengthened in order to entrust biblical teaching to a new generation. 2 Timothy 2.2 is, is a favorite with a lot of institutions that train men and women for the ministry. I get that. But what I love about verse 1 is it contains a reminder that it's not just something academic that men can do if they do not have the power, if they are not given grace, because it is a supernatural work. And then in verse 3, this idea of gospel proclamation of being, of being a witness. So he had to be strengthened in order to entrust biblical gen- um, teaching to a new generation and to pay the price for faithfully announcing salvation that is in Jesus Christ alone. Let me highlight some phrases here from verses 3 and 4. The phrase, share in suffering, is a single word in the original. It's a compound word. And while tearing it apart isn't going to give us any great insight, but it's the ideas with evil suffer, or the idea of suffer evil with me. And it's translated that way in other translations, suffer hardship with me. It's an invitation slash command, um, and and it's very interesting. So, so the idea is that Timothy, far from avoiding hardships, along with others, he would suffer with Paul. Faithful soldiers of Jesus Christ, then, we can infer, are part of a fellowship that's fashioned by hardships, but not hardships that are a waste of time, hardships that advance the cause of the true gospel. We're not talking about self-inflicted hardship. People that are looking to be miserable, and and sometimes that happens to us when when we fall prey to pity. 
We're talking about an elite fellowship of which Paul was part, Timothy was a part, and we're encouraged to be today of those that endure hardships, but hardships that advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. doesn't sound many times like the way we think about things. Then we have the word entangled, which could have been used in the literature of the time to describe the sheep that foolishly got too close to the thorns and was trapped. It was slowed down, it was hindered, it was brought to a standstill. And then we have the word please. The soldier is to please his general. And that's a straightforward word that appears in a lot of Paul's writings. So, for example, in Galatians 1, am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. So there's an alternative. There's the soldier that pleases his master. And there's Paul here saying that he is not among those who, who is, is intent on pleasing man. And then in Romans chapter 8, there's this mention in verse 8, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So there is a contrast there between pleasing God and, and pleasing the flesh. So pleasing the master... That stands in stark contrast to pleasing men and pleasing flesh, pleasing my own appetites. Uh, So it's a common word. Paul uses it many times. It's an important word. So there's two ideas, basically, that I want to draw out of this passage. They're there on the surface. I don't think it's very complicated, but I think uh, what I would like to do is is to have us meditate on these two simple ideas or, or action steps, even, if you will. First, we have to understand the times we're living in. And that's become a challenge in many ways. A lot of the things we counted on and expected from several generations, we can no longer expect those things. So there's a lot of ways in which we must understand these these times we're living in. But I'm getting at something specific here. Uh, Here I'm picking up the phrase in verse 3, share in suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. While it's not there immediately as you think about it, I I think there's something to be drawn here, and it's this idea, sisters and brothers, that I fear that we, we live our life, the Christian experience, as if we were living in times of basically peace, where we should be expecting material prosperity, serenity, and comfort. In other words, the soldier is for times of war, the civilian is for times of peace. I understand that in times of war there are civilians as well. But I think you, you, you get where I'm going at. Paul understood, not just from this passage, but we could look at many different passages, he understood himself to be living as a soldier in time of war. That's why he says to Timothy, share in suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And, and he'd already basically told them the same thing in chapter 1, in verse 8. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace. So in these verses, in chapter 1, we notice the following, that we share in suffering, at least in these verses in chapter 1, when we faithfully proclaim the gospel. So, in a sense, we're asking for a measure of trouble, and that's okay. 
when we faithfully proclaim the gospel, we are in a sense asking for some measure of trouble. We're, we're looking to see our comfort interrupted, and that's okay. The other thing is this mention of the gospel that, that I think is so important, and it associates it or makes it according to his grace. And there, why not pause and think about what that means? how that represents a total rejection of any good works we could do because it is a gospel of grace. Paul, very clearly talking to another co-worker in Titus, in chapter 3, verse 4, he says, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So God works the salvation of rebellious men and women by his mercy, by his grace. It's impossible for a sinful man to perform good works that will justify him before a holy God. So if there was anyone here this morning that was trusting in their accumulated works of righteousness to absolve you on that day of judgment before your maker, then I would humbly suggest that you've underestimated the extent of your offenses against a holy God. And I would plead with you to repent and turn to Jesus. He alone can give you the righteous standing you need to stand before a holy God. Getting back to the flow of what I want to share. Sisters and brothers, the the commandment to share in suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ, it does not make a whole lot of sense if we are living in times of peace. The metaphor breaks down. Paul's commandment doesn't make nearly as much sense. And what we see is that Paul suffered like a soldier. And we don't just see it in these verses, 8 to 13. We don't just see it in chapter 3. We see it in many other places, like the well-known conclusion of this chapter. When he says, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Timothy as well suffered like a soldier. Hebrews 13 seems to indicate that he was also, like Paul, in prison, eventually released. Paul had already challenged him at the beginning, at the, at the first book that he wrote, 1 Timothy at the end. He, he encouraged him, he exhorted him, fight the good fight of the faith, take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. So my question, what I'm trying to get at is actually very simple. Zeroing in on the question is, is basically this. Are things just different today? Spiritually speaking, are things just fundamentally different today than they were for Paul and they were for Timothy? Have things changed to such an extent that we should be expecting something different? Because if things are fundamentally spiritually the same, then I feel like we, and I do mean we, um, because I, I don't think I have to tell you, but, it, but if you need to, these are things that I struggle with. Not years ago, not weeks ago, but probably, again, this week we'll be struggling with. We aren't living in times of peace, but how difficult it is for us to embrace a wartime attitude. How can we when we avoid suffering at all costs? We have expectations of this life that aren't consistent 
with what the Bible encourages us, challenges us to embrace. I shy away from gospel risk. I want no part of austerity and sacrifice. I want comfort, peace of mind, and I want guarantees. And in this country, there's insurance for all of that, I'm sure. A well-known book by a well-known man named John Piper. He wrote a book on missions. He was never a missionary. Not in the traditional way you think of missions. But he proposes, and I think he's right, that we even misunderstand prayer because we don't understand that we're at war. So he would remind us, we cannot know what prayer is until we know that life is war. Life is war. That's not all it is, but it is always that. Our weakness in prayer is owing largely to our neglect of this truth. And then he brings up a very interesting illustration where he compares two different visions of what prayer is. On the one hand, for some, prayer is the intercom in the den to let the man upstairs know what new comfort we need. Or for others, prayer is the walkie-talkie that calls in reinforcements, bombardment on the front lines for the troops as they advance. So because there's two different visions, one is we live in times of peace and we have prayer, an intercom that brings us what we want and need. And then we have a different vision. We are at war. Prayer is the walkie-talkie that brings in the reinforcements, the targeted bombardment that we need as we move forward. Two very, very different visions. So we have to understand the times we're living in. And as I thought about this, Driving from Ohio, with lots of time stuck in the car. Iowa, actually, what am I talking about? From Iowa. But it was probably Ohio where I was trying to make sure I did not go over the speed limit because there was troopers everywhere. So I was going very slow. I was very bored. I was meditating. And, it, and you know what I think? I think it doesn't just come down to how we sacrifice. It comes down even to how we relate to other believers. In other words, not understanding that we're at war, not understanding that there is a foe and that this is spiritual warfare in which we are engaged, I see so much petty fighting among ourselves uh, about things we should not be fighting about, uh, things where we can't agree, where we must follow our conscience. And that's why the importance of being part of a local church and being on the same page But we're fighting about things that I don't think we would be fighting about if we understood what the ultimate battle is about. Um, And it saddens me because it happens constantly now that we're so engaged because of social media and other platforms. Um, So the first observation is simple. We need to understand the times we're living in. Paul thought of himself as a soldier. Timothy thought of himself as a soldier. And what I'm saying is we should think of ourselves as soldiers as well. And that would affect so many things. It would affect how we pray. It would affect how we deal with circumstances. Because if you're thinking this is peacetime, when those things come your way that are unpleasant, you don't have a very good frame of reference for dealing with it. But if you expect that for the cause of Christ, you will endure suffering, not needless suffering, Um, I think it it definitely affects the way you live. You're not surprised, and I think you're able to deal with it properly and biblically. And second, very simple, we have to untangle ourselves. Because no devoted soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits. His aim is to please the one who enlisted him. 
So if we are soldiers, if we are in times of war, we cannot afford to become entangled. We must please the one who rescued us and commissioned us for service. The good soldier, I've never been a soldier, um, but I I think we would agree on this. He's known for his commitment to a cause, the good and faithful soldier is. He's committed to a cause. He responds to orders. He goes where he's sent. He leaves what he must leave, and he soldiers on without the comforts that are the normal part of the civilian life. Now, we know it's not possible to avoid the affairs of life, but remember that we're talking about entanglement. That's the word, entanglement. In other words, reaching the point where we're devoting so much time and energy into other pursuits that we devolve into distracted, half-hearted soldiers. Like the sentry who's supposed to be paying attention but is dozing off and therefore is not fulfilling his responsibility. And this reminds me of Jesus' conversations with the rich, young ruler. His riches had become an entanglement. When they could have been a vehicle to serve the needy, they could have been a vehicle to glorify God, to worship the Master. Jesus loved him, urged him to disentangle himself, but he could not tear himself loose. And he went away from that interview with Jesus very sad. Very sad. On the other hand, Jesus assures his loyal followers who were there that day that it is profitable to resist such entanglements. And so we read in Mark 10, one of the accounts of this interview, Peter began to say to him, See, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake in the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. The first question was, have things fundamentally altered that we should expect that Paul and Timothy's experience would have little to do with our experience. The question here would be what pursuits, perhaps not bad in and of themselves, would you have to untangle yourself from to become or to once again be a devoted, faithful soldier follower of Jesus Christ? You can only, I prefer only to speak for myself God has graciously called me to serve, and yet, honestly, my loyalty wavers far more often than it should. Family is a wonderful blessing, is it not? I could uh, muster more than a few biblical passages that uh, would definitively prove that point. And yet, for example, right now, I'm not looking to our family the four of us that are going on to a new continent, I'm not looking forward to the fact that we'll be the only ones on another continent and that I'll have various close family members on other continents. Um, And I think for some people, the challenge is even more difficult. But the master says, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And it's easy to read that, 
it's very different to live and act upon it consistently. And you can probably imagine, because I don't feel like we're that different, how much I long for a comfortable journey through life. I long for it more and more as the decades roll by. But the master says, whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. That's not looking for trouble, unnecessary trouble, but that is standing for the gospel and embracing the trouble that follows. And if I'm going to talk about something very personal, I often wish my calling was was more prestigious in the eyes of men. A missionary doesn't get you a lot of street cred anywhere, not even in the church. Um, After all, it only means that you weren't good enough for other things. So there's more than a few times when I'm telling someone what I do, and I would love for it to be more like MD or or something else, uh, doctor of something or other, and, and yet I'm a missionary, which more than a few people think that's very nice. I don't know what they imagine that to be. But I wish it was more prestigious. But my master says, whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And regardless about how I feel, this is true. So soldier, what has you bogged down? Brothers and sisters, there is real joy in serving Jesus. Real joy in times of war, not times of peace. That's still future And these concerns are not just for leaders like Paul and for Timothy or some radical missionaries. The very next chapter, 3, says, All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And I'm taking uh, a position on that question of have things fundamentally altered to such a point that we should expect something different. And I would say, no, they haven't. Spiritually, the situation must be the same. Our final redemption is not yet at hand. So let that sink in. This is what's expected. Understand the times we're living in. We must remain on a war footing until we're home. So we are to disentangle ourselves and serve well. We serve a worthy master. He is indeed worthy. Because we are soldiers, we should take gospel risks and consciously embrace the necessary privations to take his gospel around the corner, to work, to school, or to some remote part of the world. Good Father, thank you for your word, for your mercy in saving us, and for the grace of calling us to serve. We would be better soldiers. We would serve you faithfully, and so we ask to be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Help us think clearly and biblically this week. In Jesus' name, amen.